All right. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Boilers Extra podcast as uh, Purdue football gets ready to play Illinois on Saturday. The Big Ten West title uh, clearly at stake in this game. Uh, Illinois wins. They'll they'll likely win the division. Um, and then uh, Purdue needs to win and get some help to uh, to win the West title. But it's the last few weeks. It's been these two teams at the top. And finally, we get a little bit of a showdown. I'm not sure anybody out, outside the Big Ten West is actually paying attention to the Big Ten West, but uh, the teams in it are doing it. Scott Ritchie from the Champaign uh, News Gazette joins us uh, today to talk about Illinois. Scott, how you doing? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, doing well. Thanks for having me on. All right. So it's it's November, but take me back to preseason. Did you anticipate Illinois being in this position where they can they can basically nearly wrap up the West this weekend? I'd like to say that I did, um, but no, like not even. Like I thought this was, you know, probably a five-win team, maybe six and six, get to a bowl game. Um, but you know, that Illinois won its fifth game like a month ago, so <laughs> I was wrong, and I, I can't. I think everything had to come together. I did that for you know the bulk of the season. We'll see if they can kind of bounce back and, and do it again after losing to the Spartans. Uh, I we lost a little sound on you there for a little bit, so I missed the middle. So if you could kind of how sum up what you said there. <laughs> Sorry about oh, sure. that, I lost a little sound. Got you at the beginning, got you at the end, but in the middle there. See the middle there. Um, what did I say? Uh, just <laughs> you thought they would this be. A, team... You thought you know they got their. Uh, you thought this would be a five-win team, but you know. Things have kind of worked worked in their favor this year. Yeah, and I think it's lined up how it needed to for Illinois to be in the position where they are with you know Big Ten division title aspirations still there. And I also think you know the loss of Michigan State showed you know, how fine a line they've been walking for you know, six games before that. And they need the the defense to be kind of at the elite level that it's been at it need the offense to, you know, you know, just sort of be competent, move the ball, score enough. And, you know, they need special teams not to have some of the gaps they did against the Spartans. So they did that for a good chunk of the year, you know, got out to such a great start, but uh, we'll have to figure out how to bounce back and do it again. Why is this defense at an elite level? I mean, the numbers are just outstanding and they lead the nation in a lot of categories and, Teams just don't score on them. Why Why is this defense where it's at? I think a lot of credit has to go to Ryan Walters. You know, he, for the most part, last year and, and still this season quite a bit, like these are a lot of Lovey Smith's guys, and Lovey just wasn't able to develop them you know, or he wasn't able to put a defense on you know, the field that suited what he had. I mean, he tried to run the same defense in Champaign that he did in Chicago, and that just wasn't going to work. Ryan Walters changed everything 
I think the the main thing, and this kind of goes offense defense as well, but like the players believe that the coaches believe they can do it. Like the uh, there's a a real synergy there, and you know they always talk about how Ryan Walters puts them in the right spot to succeed, and as long as they this is a quote that I've heard for two years now, as long as they do their job, that's a big, big thing in the, the Smith center you know, here on campus. If they do their job, like it'll work. The, the scheme is there you know, to be successful and it's adaptable. I mean, that was the one thing Lobby Smith was not, he did not change his defense ever. Ryan Walters will you know, shift gears mid game and just to better suit, you know, the personnel on the other side of the field. Um, so I think all of that coming together has made them a good defense, and they've been able to, you know, fill some of the spots that you know they lost in the offseason due to graduation, what have you, which I was sort of curious if they could do, but it's been kind of seamless. Jeff Brom talked this week about a change they made defensively last year, more of a five-man front, and it's something that uh, Jeff said they studied a lot, not only in preparing for Illinois, but just maybe it could help Purdue. Uh, what has that change meant and how, what is this defensive alignment alignment that they've come up with? How much is that playing into to them having the success that they're having right now? Quite a bit. And it is a five-man front sometimes. And sometimes, you know, they'll just have four up front. Uh, it's... I just think the adaptability of the defense is probably its biggest strength. And a lot of times they will run five defensive backs and that's sort of a primary look because they have some talent in that secondary. And you just want to get your, in the end, if you can do it, get your best players on the field. Um, and I think, you know, against a Purdue team that throws it a lot, you're going to see five defensive backs an awful lot. Um, but they, they're helped by the defensive line. And, you know, Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph, I think you saw flashes of what they could be last year. They were still pretty young, like, but they've just been fairly incredible you know, this season, especially Johnny Newton, just the pressure he's gotten on opposing quarterbacks. And then the real, I think surprise is probably the right, right word, is Calvin Avery at nose tackle. You know, and he's been at Illinois a long time. Um and there's a lot of kind of hype about his potential coming out of Dallas as a four-star recruit. And it just never clicked for him with Lovey Smith. And it took a little bit of time, even with, with Brad Bielman and Ryan Walters, but he had like a really good off season um, and is playing his best football. And you know, just to have a guy that can be a disruptor at that, that nose tackle spot. I mean, it, it makes a difference because he he's taking on, multiple blockers that's freeing up Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph to go make plays. Right. Uh, offensively, Chase Brown's been fantastic this year. hundred uh, yard rushing in every game. Um, what, what makes him so good and how much, how much of the offensive line has really kept him going and kept that running game going the way that way that it has. Quite a bit. And there's questions about the offensive line because, you know, it lost Fedarian Lowe, lost Doug Kramer, and two guys that gotten a lot of starts, lost, I mean, Jack Bedovinak, and he was I mean, just a one-year sort of, you know, bridge the gap kind of guy, but it was a, another starter that they had to replace. And I wondered 
how they do it. Turns out it's been fine. Uh, and getting Alice Palczewski back for a six, a six year somehow. Still not sure how Brett Bielma uh, got that figured out. Um, he's got some tricks up his sleeve, but that made a difference. Isaiah Adams as a Juco transfer has probably been their best offensive lineman though. Um, and then Chase Brown's just good. Like he was, he had success, you know, last year against an offensive line that there was some hype for just because all of them had been around for so long and started next to each other for so long. And they had some, some struggles. Um, but Chase just, he's good at what he does and he's got speed to you'll be guys on the edge, but he's also you know, physical enough to run between the tackles and they're just, they go to him a lot. And, you know, Brett Bielma and Barry Lunny have talked kind of all season about how just, you know, such a heavy workload is maybe not sustainable over the course of a 12-game season. And I saw a little bit of that against Michigan State because, you know, in the fourth quarter, he did the, the jersey tug. It was like, need to come out because he had, you know, was already top 30 carries and they were going to him a ton just trying to get something going offensively and, it's, it's tough. I mean, you know, running backs, you know, Brad Bielma said this, they get hit basically on every play that they run. Um, so I'm curious how they handle that moving forward because there could be five more games left for Illinois. Um, and it's a weird thing to say in November, but you know, if they're going to be at their best, they need Chase Brown to be at their best. And I'm not sure he was against Michigan State late in that game. Do you worry that does carry over into November? We'll see. I mean, like Chase will say he'll take every carry he can get, but I don't. You don't expect anything different from a player. But I think the fact that he asked out of a game is, on one hand, good. He knows his limits and knows if he's not at his best, like he's not going to maybe be the, the best option. But I think maybe the staff has to handle that a little differently, like earlier in the game. Um, you know, a healthy Josh McRae will help that, and I think he's finally getting there. He had a you know knee injury in the season opener, missed every game up until Nebraska. Really wasn't maybe ready there. Just had one carry, and they decided let's pump the brakes. Got a few more against Michigan State, but again, um, if he can be what he was a year ago, and like Purdue knows all about Josh McRae from a year ago. Um, that'll take a little bit of the pressure off Chase Brown and maybe keep him at at that high level he's had all season. Tommy DeVito, um, fantastic year playing quarterback, no interceptions since I think September 10th against Virginia. Uh, he's really taking care of the ball, high completion percentage the last three or four games. Um, did, did Illinois know what it was getting with him and has he performed – or has he gone beyond what they maybe expected this year? Um, Barry Lunny, you know, who was hired after they got Tommy DeVito in the transfer portal, um, said it was an arranged marriage a little bit, but it's worked. And I think they did have a feeling of what he could be if they were able to keep him upright, because at Syracuse, he got sacked a ton. Um, just kind of took a beating. Um, but when he, you know, was able to stay on his feet, like he had, you know, one really, really good year with the orange. And that was when he wasn't getting hammered all the time by opposing defense. But I think they had an idea of what it could be. 
his quick release kind of his decision making fits really well with what Barry Lenny wants to do in the passing game. A lot of short and intermediate routes, getting athletes in space and just kind of letting them, you know, work from there. So um, for an arranged marriage, it, it has turned out you know pretty well. And you know, after he had kind of a little run there, some picks you know, at Indiana through one late you know, at Virginia, he gave one away and you know, has settled in, I think. And, it was made it was taking what the defense has given him more and made the right choice made in in the passing game and it's been a better compliment to Chase Brown in the run game than Elmo had last year and it's not even a question. I would have to say the balance has been a key to this offense because you you have Brown, you've got to pay attention to him and the way DeVito is throwing the ball. I mean you've got to respect both areas there and that's kind of the perfect has that been the perfect situation for this offense this year? Yeah, because they didn't have it last year. And, I mean, part of that was, you know, both Brandon Peters and Art Sikowski alternately got hurt. Um, so there wasn't consistency at that spot. Then also, neither one of those guys is like a, a high completion percentage quarterback. Um, combined, they completed, I think, 50% of the passes last year. I mean, Tommy DeVito is probably going to set the Illinois single-season record for completion percentage that Nathan Shieldhouse set a decade plus ago. So it's been a real difference. And I think sort of puts a spotlight on why Brett Bielma made a change in offensive coordinator after a single year. Like you don't usually see that. That's pulling the trigger on like, I might've made a mistake here pretty quickly. And I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. uh, Wasn't Jeff Brom, Nathan Shieldhouse's quarterback coach at Illinois? Uh, I do believe he was, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just tying things together here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had he had a a good career as an assistant at Illinois, and there was some, you know, talk back when you know Ron Zook was being um, sort of unceremoniously <laughs> sent to pasture that that Jeff Brown could would be an intriguing candidate. I mean, obviously, it didn't happen, and now he's you know, coaching one of Illinois' rivals. But you know, it's just all college football circles are small. Very much so. And talking to your colleague Bob Bob Asman, I, he was he was always he was always been high on on Jeff Brom and uh, thought oh, that yeah. he, he should be, you know, when Illinois had some openings over the years, that uh, Jeff should be should have been considered more than than what he was. Yeah, I think you know just had a pretty good offense, you know, at that time, and I think he really helped Nathan turn into. I mean, it, there was a run there where Illinois had. Stability at quarterback. He just went from Juice Williams to Nathan Shieldhouse, and that was almost was more than a decade ago, and they haven't had it since. So Nathan was kind of the peak there, and Jeff was obviously very involved, you know, yeah. in his development. Based on what uh, Illinois coaches and players have said, what's what's their couple concerns about Purdue that they that, that they're that they're worried about uh, going into Saturday's game? Well, I think. Charlie Jones probably has to be at the top of the list offensively. And just, you know, he, he's not only is he targeted a ton, but like he's making plays. Like, um, just, you know, if Aiden O'Connell and Charlie Jones kind of get something going, that could be trouble. Now, Illinois has had some success against good receivers in the Big Ten, like Trey Palmer for Nebraska had a catch for one yard in that game. So, you know, Devin Witherspoon will be their counter to Charlie Jones, but there's some questions. On the opposite side of the field, Taz Nicholson, you know, missed most of the 
Michigan State game with a concussion, still in the protocol early this week. Don't really have an update on him. Uh, then his backup also got hurt against Michigan State, and his backup, um, there's some question marks there as well. So could be kind of far down the depth chart, cornerback-wise. But, um, I mean, as much as Purdue can sling it, like, Elma hasn't maybe faced that kind of offense yet this year. Um, I mean, the closest comp would be like Brennan Armstrong at Virginia and his offensive line is so bad that he just had zero chance. Um, so that'll be, I think something I'll certainly be watching, but, um, and then just maybe it's, this could go for both teams, but both teams are coming off a loss. They probably didn't think they were going to take. So there's you know some sense of, you know, Purdue's going to have something to prove. Of course, Illinois, you know, is going to have something to prove as well. So what would it mean for this program to win the Big Ten West? Um, You know, there's been a lot of changes there over the years. And to do it so quickly in uh, Bielema's tenure, I mean, what what kind of uh, statement would that mean for the program to to win a a division title? Everything. I mean, it's never happened. Since the Big Ten went to divisions, Illinois – not been very successful on the football field and that's kind of their history as a program but there's been you know an uptick in interest from the fan base and as often as you know basketball has been selling out state farm center that's 15,544 people um there's more money to be made if you can sell out what is it 60,760 at memorial stadium um haven't gotten there yet michigan state game was close um, not sure it'll be a solid, you know, this Saturday either, but I think I'll probably still consider Illinois a basketball school, but, you know, for football to capture the imagination of the fan base, it's not a bad thing, um, for all the programs for the bottom line. Um, but yeah, it's probably has to feel pretty good for Josh Whitman that cause he hired Levy Smith and it didn't work. And Brett Bielma kind of has to work for Josh Whitman because it's not often you get to fire three football coaches. Um, no. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he's given Bielma any resource he needs to make this happen, and I think that's maybe part of the reason why it's, it's gone a little quicker than anyone anticipated. Right. did want to ask you just one question about basketball. Uh, since you cover basketball as well, and they, you know they've opened the season Monday, Purdue opened Tuesday, but a lot of transfers for Illinois. Um, how long do you anticipate, or maybe it's already happened, but just the meshing of that team when you bring in so many new players like that that have played? You know, there's always the concern to how long that's going to take to come together. What, how do you see that all evolving? for this year's uh, basketball team? I I think just from a non-basketball standpoint, they have pretty good chemistry. And, you know, Taryn Shannon was one of those transfers in, come from Texas Tech, but he's kind of made it one of his priorities to, like, get the guys together, you know, away from their practice, away from the basketball court, and just do things. You know, they did a lot of that this summer. Um, From a basketball standpoint, I mean, there's four freshmen involved, too, and a couple transfers, and really Coleman Hawkins is the only returning player that had any significant time, you know, a year ago. 
So I, that part, just figuring out everyone's role on the court could take some time, but they'll be playing fairly exciting basketball while they, while they kind of get all the pieces together. Uh, much more up-tempo than it's been over the last few years. Just I haven't covered an Illinois team with like this much team athleticism. Um, they just fly around. And could be interesting. Um, some of that, you know, flying around is good. Some of it is like they're just right on the edge of control. And like if they can like stay on that edge, that's great. But you know, it's not hard to kind of tip over and just be out of control. Right. So we'll see. But um, they don't really get tested until uh, November seventeenth. They go out to Vegas to play UCLA, and then either Baylor or Virginia. Um, so we'll find out then because. As much as you know, I appreciate my alma mater, Eastern Illinois did not really challenge them <laughs> so much on Monday night. Kansas City's not going to do it either. Uh, Friday, and then they've got one more game against Monmouth, and uh, that's not going to be – I mean, shouldn't be a challenge at least. So. Right. How wide open is the Big Ten? They, lo- they lost a lot of star power, but how, how wide open how, and how how – how interesting will this race be this year, maybe compared to other years? It literally could be any team, I think, except maybe Northwestern and Nebraska and Minnesota. Like there's that tier at the bottom and then the other 11 teams. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if they challenge for the title. Um, maybe Penn State would be a little surprising, but like Indiana was sort of every. Close to everyone's pick as the preseason favorite, but I mean they went nine and eleven in the conference last year. And on one hand, they have continuity with most of that team returning, but on the other hand, that team was kind of average. They needed to win in the Big Ten tournament to make the NCAA tournament. Um, so we'll see. I think it's going to be interesting because I don't think if you say like you have a good grasp on the Big Ten, like I want to know what you know because. <laughs> <laughs> how how could you possibly have a feeling for how this conference will turn out? And that, that that's exciting, right? And, and and if anybody told you that, they're lying right now in, in November. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I didn't want to cast aspersions, but yeah. big old lie. Yes. All right, Scott Ritchie from the Champagne News Gazette, kind enough to join us today on the Boilers Extra podcast. Great info on Illinois football. Little touch of uh, basketball. Uh, Illinois and Big Ten, of course. Uh, I don't think Purdue and Illinois play each other to the last game of the year in basketball, yeah. so we got to yeah. wait all that time to 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 see what uh, Illinois has. And I'm sure by that time, the chemistry on the court will be probably at a very high level. And uh, Illinois, I think, is going to be one of those teams, obviously, in the mix. I think Purdue will be there as well with uh, the talent they have on the the roster. But it should be a fun basketball season. But we got to get through football here. And as we mentioned, uh, Big Ten West title on the line Saturday uh, over in Champaign. Scott, thanks for uh, getting up early and uh, talking football and basketball. And uh, look forward to seeing you on Saturday. And uh, best of luck. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Well, once again, thanks to Scott Ritchie from the Champaign News Gazette for joining us on the podcast today. Breaking down Purdue and Illinois. Uh, this is it for Purdue. This is their last chance to stay in the Big Ten West race. Uh, a victory doesn't uh, mean they'll win it, 
even if they win their last two games. They still need help. Uh, they lost control of their own path to the uh, division title uh, last week by losing to Iowa. Now, it's, it's not a complicated scenario by any means. You know, Purdue has to win out, and uh, they need Wisconsin and Iowa uh, each to, to lose uh, a game. Now, that'll happen this week because Wisconsin and Iowa play each other, so one of those teams will lose. But then Purdue would need the winner of that game to lose again. And in Wisconsin's case, uh, I believe they have Nebraska and Minnesota left. In Iowa's case, they have Minnesota and Nebraska left. So um, if Purdue can can pull off the win on Saturday, then uh, they'll be uh, they'll be rooting for uh, Nebraska <laughs> since Nebraska is going to play each of those teams, but also Minnesota. Uh, would be involved in that as well. So um, it's probably uh, not a long, long shot, but a bit of a long shot now that Purdue lost control after losing to Iowa. But, um, you know, Purdue has an uphill climb this week to uh, to, to beat Illinois. They're, they're ranked very high defensively across the board in the nation. Uh, they're not giving up a lot of yards. They're not giving up a lot of points. And, you know, Purdue uh, has to figure out a way to uh, to, to stay on the field offensively, move the ball, and then take advantage of their scoring situations uh, that are presented to them. Unlike last week when they have first and goal at the two, and you got to get a touchdown out of that game, out of that situation, uh, because you just, you know, field goal, you know, the, even if Purdue scores a touchdown, uh, you know, maybe it's still 24 to 7 at the end. But, you know, whatever momentum they had built up at that point had. Uh, kind of disappeared when they didn't score there. So, um, you know, we've been over this numerous times as far as uh, Purdue running the ball, um, uh, understanding that that's not Purdue's offense, but you have to run the ball in certain situations and not to run the ball in that situation, you know, was uh, was uh, was wrong. And understanding that there was a run-pass option there for the uh, one of the calls uh, that Jeff Brom said, uh, Aiden O'Connell decided to pass it instead of run it. But Jeff said, well, I, I, I was hoping he would run it. Well, you know, if you want to run play, call call a run play. Uh, that's <clears throat> that's how that works. And, you you know, you've got to trust your offensive line. you got to trust your running backs. And, and you know, I've, I've, I've said this numerous times that I, I don't believe that he does trust his running back and his uh, his offensive line enough uh, to, to line him up and go get two yards. And you can go back to the Penn State game when they're trying to run the clock. And uh, what they, they throw on 12 of 13 uh, plays uh, in part because I don't think Jeff Brom trusted his offensive line or his uh, his running backs in, in that situation. And uh, so at some point you got to do it. Um, uh, but, you know, it, and again, it didn't really make a big difference in the game. Uh, you, you know, if it's 17-7, maybe, maybe you, you feel a little bit better about yourself and you got a chance to – to maybe uh, cut into that lead at, at in the second half, but you know once the uh, Caleb Johnson goes for seventy five yards in third quarter, game game was over. So Purdue has to regroup. Uh, they've got um, you know they're they're in a you know they're they're in a bit of a bad spot right now uh, across the board from a personnel standpoint. The defense, the secondary is you know what it is, and there's no other options there from a personnel standpoint. You know they're going to tweak. What they do, how they do it, 
but all those units are connected. The defensive line, it'd be great to have more pressure there. Uh, linebackers, you know, need to be more involved in in stopping the pass. Uh, you know, secondary has you know been chasing guys the second half of the year in the in the back half. So, um, but there's just no other you know personnel option that they can go to at that point. And you know, and that's on them because they knew coming into the year they were thin there. Uh, they did add Reese Taylor in the offseason from a transfer perspective. Added Bryce Hampton uh, out of the portal. Uh, so they tried to beef up the area, uh, but the overall play has just not been uh, that good for, for most of the year. Uh, I thought Corey Trice had turned the corner at Minnesota, uh, but then, you know, the big play at the end of the first half against Maryland, and then everything that's happened since then when you go to the Nebraska game, just the the blown coverages and the and all that kind of stuff has really uh, magnified where, where the secondary is at. And... Uh, you know, and Ron English has talked about it throughout the year that, you know, his group doesn't play as hard as they should. And, um, and I, you know, I think that's, that's a bit of a problem too, but, you know, changing lineups and all that kind of stuff. Cam Allen did not start last week. Uh, we're curious if he's back in the starting lineup and I, I don't know if it makes a difference. I mean, these guys are who they are. Uh, you can't just all of a sudden change the scheme. You just, you mean, you have to play better. You have to have, you know, to stay true to the things that you've taught, been taught, and uh, and go from there. And, and, and Illinois is going to throw the ball against them. I mean, they have a very accurate quarterback. He hasn't thrown an interception since, I believe, September second against Virginia. Um, so he's going to be, you know, he's going to be on the money when you mix the the passing game with their strong running game. It's probably the most balanced team Purdue has faced um, here recently. Uh, you know, Iowa was pretty balanced. Uh, you know, I could have thrown, Iowa could have thrown the ball a whole lot more, but you know, once they got the 17 point lead, there was no need, you know, they just leaned on the running game, ran out the clock and let their defense uh, keep Purdue under wraps the whole game. But this, this Illinois team is very balanced, you know, with Chase Brown running the ball and then DeVito uh, through the air, uh, you know, Purdue's not going to know what's coming each time. So it's, uh, um, you know, they need to find a way to make them one-dimensional if they can. Uh, it would enhance their chances. But offensively, they got to cut down on the turnovers. They know Connell's been uh, – uh, just made too many mistakes uh, the last two games against Wisconsin and Iowa from a turnover perspective. And, you know, Purdue has to play probably the cleanest game that it, it it's played all year. And, you know, that includes turnovers. That includes penalties. Uh, that includes not allowing – uh, big negative plays uh, and not allowing big plays, you know, from the uh, Illinois offense. So they've got their, uh, they definitely have their work cut out for them uh, coming up uh, uh, on, on Saturday. So uh, again, thanks for Scott for breaking down Illinois. Appreciate it. And uh, he did have an email uh, with some questions. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Um, Kind of, you know, had some questions about uh, the football situation and some things. Where is the? There it is. All right, here we go. Uh, talked about the running game. That was one question. Fixing the defense. You know, guys need to to play hard. One gentleman wants to know if Brom has lost the team. I don't know if that's an answer that you can say right now. We'll see what happens uh, this week. 
you know, to me, one of the questions coming out of the week, if Purdue gets beat like it did against Iowa, um, I, I don't know if they win any of their last two games. Um, I, I think that's a legitimate concern. Uh, coming coming out of this week, if Purdue loses in similar fashion that they lost to Iowa, I, I don't know what the motivation will be for them. They, yeah, they're one win from a bowl game, but is that going to be enough to to get people get get that locker room fired up to play? And um, I, I think that's a fair question. Uh, Coming out of this game, depending on what happens now, obviously if Purdue wins, then the motivation is there. But if they don't, is there enough strong leadership on this team to hold things together uh, the last two weeks against opponents that you'll be favored to beat and should beat? But if you don't, if you don't bring it, if you're not uh, amped up to play, then you know Purdue can find itself uh, on on the losing end. Uh, wants to know if there's a uh, change at defensive coordinator after the season. Um, you know, there's just so much in play right now that, you know, I, I do think there'll be uh, one coaching change uh, after this year uh, from an assistant standpoint. Um, as far as, you know, they, they have co-defensive coordinators, but Ron English is the play caller. But, you know, so much, and you guys know this is out there and it's not, Really, it's been talked about for several months and, you know, it's it's not hidden anywhere and there, it's no secret. But, you know, the whole Jeff Brom, the Louisville thing is still very much alive. And, um, you know, I, I, obviously, if something happens there and Brom's no longer the Purdue coach, then, you know, yeah, you'll have a lot of changes here. But if he's if he's still here, I, I again, I think there'll be at least one change. Uh from the staff, uh, you don't know who's going to stick around, who's going to find another opportunity. Do they need a, a new defensive coordinator? I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. This is not a Bob Diaco situation. I think Ron English is very respected in what he does and how he does it. Um, so, but you know, when you when you potentially are going to finish the season the way that Purdue could finish the season, you know, I think you got to look at everything, and um, so. You know, but that's there's just so much between now and then that um, has to happen, or you're waiting to happen to see whether something like this is needed. And then the the last question had to deal with is the program under you know at a key point under Brom. I, I don't think it's at a crossroads. Yeah, he had nine wins last year. He's not. They're not going to get. You know, probably won't get to nine this year. But that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean the program's floundering or anything like that. I mean, they had they had overcome their early issues with penalties and stuff like that to put themselves in a position to win the Big Ten West, and that's what you want every year. Uh, they're probably deeper into the year, into the season, with the Big Ten West on the line than they have been in recent recent seasons. Um, and it was, you know, again, it's been there for the taking this year. Um, you know, losing to Wisconsin wasn't. A major blow losing to Iowa, you know, took the control out of your hands, uh, and especially the way Iowa had been playing this year. It's a, it's an anemic offense. Um, they had a guy rush for 200 yards. Uh, that's the disappointing part that you know Purdue uh, seemed to be in a position to, to win that game going into it, based on what Iowa had done and hadn't done, but didn't do it. But I, I don't think the program's at any kind of crossroads. Um, 
and I, I don't I don't know if Brom has hit his peak. I mean, next year, uh, just to be you know brutally honest, I mean, next year is going to be a struggle for a lot of reasons. You don't know who your quarterback's going to be. Um, you're losing a lot of key players, um, and the, and the schedule is brutal. And you got Michigan and Ohio State on the schedule, along with a, a tough non-conference schedule with Fresno State, Syracuse, and Virginia Tech. Uh, you're still in the West one more year. That means you got Wisconsin, you got Iowa, you got Minnesota teams that have, you know, Wisconsin and Minnesota have, you know, traditionally beaten Purdue. Um, but it's, you know, there's just, there's going to be a lot of roster turnover. A lot of Purdue players are going to get in the portal. A lot of players from the portal are going to come here. So you have no idea what the roster is going to look like. You know the schedule. It's going to be tough. Nebraska is going to hire a good coach. So you expect them to be better. Jim Leonard will likely be the Wisconsin coach. Uh, so those, those things will be set. So, you know, next year's, you know, schedule, you know, combined with, you have no idea what your roster is going to look like or what's going to be here. Uh, you've you've got to, you know, there's just so much in the air. But I, I don't think the program's at any kind of uh, crossroads. Um, yeah, are there better coaches and game managers out there that Purdue could get? Yeah, but first of all, Purdue's not getting rid of Brom. It just it it, it won't make financial sense for them to do that. Uh, Jeff would have to leave on his own. Uh, but I, I don't think the program's at any kind of crossroads, but just buckle up because next year is not going to be good as of right now. It's just not. And there's no other way to put it. I mean, unless there's an influx of, you know, super talented players in the portal that, that, that puts you over the top. That's a dynamic quarterback. That's a dynamic receiver. Uh, that's, you know, a couple playmakers on defense. I mean, you got to go right down the line there. Uh, and that's, Something, you know, Purdue has gotten good production out of the portal, but it, in order to really put themselves in a position uh, next year, they're going to have to do a lot of work in the portal to, to get to a point where, you know, six wins is possible. Because right now, I don't, it's, it, it's going to be hard to see six wins in, in 2023. So anyway, hope that helps. Hope that answers some questions. Uh, if you got them, email them in. We'll we'll deal with them uh, the best we can. Uh, and uh, Friday night, got a basketball game against Austin P. Those that remember, the fly is open. Let's go P from back in the day. If not Google it. Uh, uh, we'll do a recap Friday night, and then to Champagne on Saturday, and uh, break down the game afterwards on the road back to um, Indiana. Uh, via I-74, uh, that wonderful interstate there that connects Indiana and Illinois. All right, well, thanks for stopping by and have a good day.